0: Welcome to the Inside Startup Investing Podcast, powered by King's Crowd. As always, I'm your host, Chris Lestruno. From discussions with founders and VCs to industry experts and special guests, we want to provide you with the inside scoop on all things startup investing. Whether you're investing $50 a deal or $500,000 a deal, we have the stories you need to hear before clicking invest. From the metaverse to spaceflight and beyond, join us as we explore the world of startup investing for all. And now, on to this week's episode. Welcome to another episode of Inside Startup Investing. As always, I am your host, Crystal Strino, and today we are joined by the great Darren Marble. Uh, I am really excited to have this conversation with Darren. Darren has done a lot for industry across multiple different fronts. Um, he is the founder of Issuance, as well as the creator of, or one of the creators of Going Public. Um, He's been around the space for as long as anyone else has been in this industry and is doing some really, really cool things to help try and drive forward the retail investor markets when it comes to investing uh, in private equity type opportunities. So with that, I want to kick it off. Darren, thank you so much for being here today.
1: Thanks, Chris. It's so nice to be with you. I appreciate the opportunity.
0: Of course. No, always happy to be able to chat with you, Darren, and kind of share insights and thoughts on the industry. Um, So let's start with a little bit of your background and how issuance and going public are kind of, um, I don't know, additive to one another and and how you think that will help push the industry forward.
1: Yeah, look, I appreciate it. So I run two businesses that are in the same industry and and roughly have the same mission, which is to democratize investing uh, for the masses and provide easier access to capital for small and emerging businesses. So issuance is my FinTech. Uh, It's a SaaS capital raising platform For exempt issuers, we support Reg A, Reg D, and soon Reg CF financings. And then Going Public is a show. It's a show like Shark Tank, but we allow the viewers to invest into featured startups while they watch. And the show uses issuance to process investments. So as you're watching an episode of the Going Public series, and you see a company you want to invest in, when you click to invest, issuance is the white label solution that allows the viewer to very quickly become an investor, actually in about 40 seconds from start to finish. That's
0: really cool. So the TV show, uh, this is something really unique, obviously hasn't been done before. Um, first up, I want you to talk to me a little bit about the challenges that you have faced in trying to create this, because I think we all know that trying to build in this industry is really hard. Now you're pushing the envelope one step further, which is saying like, we're going into the media business in order to help generate, you know, investment and all of that type of stuff. So, how has that process been, and what do you think it will do to help shed more
1: light onto our industry? You know, look, we started off, Chris, as marketers of the earliest uh, reggae financings back in 2015 when reggae actually went into effect as a securities exemption. And what I realized very quickly was that the marketing of the deal was not only critical to helping founders raise capital but it was also the hardest thing to do. And so it's also known as retail distribution. In other words, what is a marketing strategy for a founder? How are they going to actually market their deal online? Uh turns out it's not easy. There's no guarantee that just because you allocate $100,000 to a paid media campaign, you're, you're going to generate uh, even $100,000 in investment back. And you know, the other observation I had was that you know, look at this industry. It's about a six billion dollar industry between Reg A and Reg CF. Um, it's not a hundred billion dollar industry. Well, why not? There's dozens of platforms. There's three securities exemptions that founders can use to solicit their investments, and two of those, Reg A and Reg CF, permit the non-accredited retail investor to participate. Why hasn't this industry become mainstream? And so the conclusion I came to is that. In order for this industry to actually be mainstream, it needs a massively mainstream vehicle. So why not create an original series that becomes mainstream itself? A show that could be as big or bigger than Shark Tank. And we've been working on this project for five years now. And the reason it hasn't existed uh, until today is because it's incredibly complicated. It's like saying, I'm going to build a rocket and go to Mars. And anybody will understand what you mean. But how many people are really capable of doing that maybe one or two people in the world and with this show there's a lot of components or puzzle pieces that needed to be assembled to bring it to light there's a production involved it's actually a multi-million dollar production we needed a distribution partner we weren't going to put it on you know our own website and expect people to show up we needed to plug into a media company that already has millions of uh, people potentially investors as well Uh, we needed a business model we needed capital There's a platform that's needed, there's rules and regs, SEC compliance. And so it took us four years to put the first season out. We had four startups featured in season one of Going Public. We streamed the season on entrepreneur.com. So Entrepreneur was our distribution and promotions partner for the show. And the four startups in season one collectively raised about $15 million from viewers of the series. And that includes a mix of retail and institutional investors. And so that was enough to prove the concept that we could put a show together where we follow the stories of founders on their capital raising journey and allow the viewers at their discretion to buy into the deal through a seamless investing experience. And yet we also thought $15 million between four companies, is actually not enough. We needed to take the series upstream. We needed to find a distribution partner that could help these companies raise eight, nine, maybe $10 million. Uh, by putting them in the show, and so we've signed a distribution deal now with a financial media partner that we are on the heels of announcing in the next few weeks. It happens to be a 1.5 billion dollar financial media company. There's not a lot of 1.5 billion dollar financial media companies out there, uh, but we have attracted the right distribution partner to help us take this show upstream, and we're we're just thrilled to get the next season out uh, probably in May or June. Three companies, six episodes. Shorter episodes. So we're tightening the format. We're making it more entertaining, more engaging. We learned a hell of a lot from season one, and we just we can't wait to announce it because I think it's going to be a game changer for the industry.
0: Love to hear that. And um let's talk about how you actually build a TV show into a business that's generating both cash flows for you as well as helping those founders raise capital. So one knock against our industry, I think, over the past several years is, it could be very expensive to raise capital in these markets, especially if you're spending tons against marketing and not grading, getting a great ROI. And you're, you're spending a ton in fees, right, via the platforms. Um, so how are you helping to manage those costs, and how are
1: you still making sure that you get paid for providing that show? You know, look, we have what we consider, Chris, to be the anomaly asset or platform in the industry. We're the only group that actually has an original series, Uh, with a high caliber production and a distribution partner and the distribution is really uh, a moat for us there's no one else that has the type of distribution deal that we do with our our media partner Um, and nor was there one prior to entrepreneur as well so the value prop for a company being in the going public series is actually twofold yes any company we sign can raise capital from anybody over the age of 18 globally but it's also an unfair way for these companies to promote their product to generate revenue by acquiring customers. The millions of people who are watching these episodes can be both investors and customers at the same time. And so for that opportunity, we're actually charging what are undoubtedly the highest fees in the industry. So the cost to appear in season one was a quarter million dollars cash and $2 million in stock. So there was a cash fee and there was a stock fee. And both of these fees, by the way, are, are independent of how much the, the companies raise. Um, so we're paid the cash fee up front, the stock fee is on the vesting schedule. And again, companies signed up for this deal, not because they were technically desperate to raise money. In fact, the companies we're attracting are like the top 1% of issuers in the industry. These are companies doing $20 million in one year and $40 million the next year. Some of these companies are profitable or break even. These are companies that typically won't list on a third-party marketplace or listings platform they're too big they're too successful but the reason they wanted to pay these fees is because they can raise capital from viewers but we're also giving the founders a platform to unfairly market their brand to acquire customers to create mass awareness for their company with millions of people around the world and in september i I can share that we we got a, a broker dealer so we raised our hand with FINRA and said, we'd like to be regulated. We see an opportunity for this company, our company, to have a broker-dealer so the broker-dealer can charge success fees. So the, the new model is now a cash fee, a stock fee, and a broker-dealer fee. These are the three levers that we are playing with. Um, now, just to put it out there, like I said, b- these are the highest fees in the industry. But where else can a company go, Chris, where we're going to make them the stars of, their, of a show? And this isn't a two-minute pitch video, this isn't a shark tank appearance where we're humiliating founders and they're getting teased and they're laughed out, uh, or maybe they raise money from the sharks in four minutes. This is a serial narrative that follows the stories of these founders um, over time, you know, days and months. And so that opportunity is unique. It's not an infomercial. And for that, we're charging fees. And ultimately we're building a portfolio of equity in these companies we want to see these companies raise 10 million generate a few million in revenue and go on to do a true ipo to nasdaq or the new york stock exchange or the CSE or tsx within 12 to 24 months post appearance in the series and turn our 2 million dollar equity stake into 6 8 10 million and to see the viewers of the series you know turn their dollar shares into something more as well so that's actually what, what we're really looking for here chris We are looking to curate the highest quality startups in the U.S. and Canada, make them stars of the Going Public series, help them tell their stories to the world, and raise capital, drive revenue, build their brands in the process.
0: Well, I I know from speaking with many founders that there's certainly a lot of interest to appear in your show. And I think what it comes down to, right, is you're willing to pay those fees if the distribution is really powerful. Um, And that's what it comes out. It's how do you get the word out? And I think that's the biggest challenge every founder will face when they come into this market is how do you get the word out? How do you get people engaged? And then also there's some really savvy founders that I've talked to where it's, I want to get the word out and I need to raise the money. But also this is a major exposure play where if I'm planning to IPO in 12, 24 months, I better have the right story building up to that and have that momentum play on my side as well. Um, So it's really interesting. Obviously a super unique model Um, If, if founders are listening to this and they want to apply for maybe season three, how do they go about that process and what does it look like?
1: They can go to going public.com and click apply and they can send us their deck. We'll take a look at every company that comes through. You know, we're now looking at signing reg CF issuers. We're looking at Reg B 506 C because issuance has products that support those offerings. Issuance is the exclusive platform uh, for the series. So companies that are listed on other platforms, they're actually ineligible uh, to be in the series just to put that out there. But look, we're, we're coming downstream to a degree because we love the reg CF market. We see companies raising capital on these platforms. And some of these companies are actually uh, really interesting. They have good business models, they're growing fast. They've got charismatic founders that would play well in a show like this. So we're you know kind of in process of evaluating our fee schedule to see if we can reduce those fees and make them uh, palatable uh, and digestible for smaller companies that aren't going to have raised 10 or $20 million in a previous round of funding and you know are looking for more exposure than capital. Um, but they can go to goingpublic.com, click apply, and we'll, we'll look at anyone. Nice.
0: Now, you talk about having industry high fees when it comes to going public because of the built-in distribution. Now, issuance, I think, is kind of on the other side of the spectrum, which is probably some of the lowest fees in the industry in terms of a marketplace. So Talk about what makes issuance unique and how do you keep costs low for founders.
1: Yeah, it's a really good point. You know, I've got these two businesses and they do operate at different sides of the spectrum. Industry is a fintech. It's a white label solution for companies raising capital online. Um, We have really built our brand around the reg A industry. Now we're in reg D, soon to be reg CF. And I look at issuance, Chris, as a processor of investments. I look at going public as more of a capital raiser right? We're being paid to provide massive distribution with the idea that the viewers of the show can invest. But on the issuance side, we look at ourselves as a processor of investments. In other words, if you're the issuer and you're using issuance, it's incumbent on you to go out and run a marketing campaign. You've got to spend money to advertise your deal, or you're going to run a marketing campaign and work to convert your community, your existing customers into investors. And so from that standpoint, issuance we we never thought well let's go and charge eight percent for that um those are fees that are paid to an investment bank that goes out and places capital so issuance fees net out to three to four percent of the deal uh because we look at these deals as we're taking your customers and helping you convert them into investors or you're going to spend fifty or a hundred thousand dollars in a marketing campaign why should the platform charge you fees as if that you know those dollars are being raised by us they're being raised by you so what we're known for in the industry are two things we've got the slickest user interface in market today investors can check out for securities in privately held companies in about 40 seconds we were the first to bring to market Apple Pay and Google Pay as checkout methods which is how people expect to buy online they should buy securities the same way from their iPhone Google phone two clicks and you're in the deal and then we're known for having some if not lowest fees in the industry uh, so that we've got a superior product at a lower cost. And that's why we're actively winning deals and competitive sales cycles. We're flipping clients over from other platforms, marketplaces, onto issuance where they can run the financing on their own domain or website. They control the brand. They own their investor data. Their investors are not being exploited. This is how we think uh, You know that that product should operate in the industry, and we're having a lot of success with it.
0: Well, that's really interesting. So for investors who are listening, will investors even realize, like obviously when you go on Republican, WeFunder, you know, you've created your account, you live there, you go there, to find other deals. But what you're talking about is a white label solution, which very simply means I could create a page that looks like kingscrab.com, but it's for actually investing in my business. And you're kind of the back end of that. So do investors know they're going through issuance or is it really just, oh, I'm going and investing in this individual company and you're essentially the payment
1: that's a good question no they do know so there the issuance brand is there when you're, you're on let's say kingscrowd.com slash invest and if it were an issuance deal when they click invest our brand is there alongside yours so i would say it's it's kind of sub to the uh client's brand we're really looking to help clients raise capital promote their brand and minimize ours but i think there are investors that see that issuance is is the processor of the subscription they receive communications from issuance. Hey, you've created an account. You got to go uh, complete the process or we need this information to complete your KYC AML. But I think ultimately it's a it's a desirable way uh, for companies to raise capital. It's a nice alternative to the marketplace or listings approach where you see, you know, to me, it looks like Kickstarter for equity. And I've always been shocked that somehow that's become a popular model, even in 2023, companies opt to list their deals on a platform alongside a hundred other companies that they have no association with, may not want to be associated with. And then the platform is immediately taking advantage of of the leads that come in for a deal and remarketing their own securities, pretty common uh, phenomenon. So we've desired to provide a white label solution so that you can run the financing on your own domain. We've got a little bit of branding and visibility, but it's really you know, designed to streamline the, the the process for the issuer. And in that case, founders do own the data of the users that come and invest in
0: them, correct? So like- Absolutely. market and emails or any of that, they actually kind of own that user rather than on some of these bigger marketplaces where they control the user and you really have
1: no way of communicating outside of the platform. Is that correct? Absolutely. You know, what we do do at issuance is we anonymize data. So if we get 10,000 investors into one of our clients, uh, we're not going to email those 10,000 people and promote the next deal. But what we will do is we'll anonymize that data so that we, our next client, can create a lookalike or custom audience on Facebook, for example, and lower the cost of acquiring investors and increase the return on ad spend when they're applying dollars to an advertising or marketing campaign.
0: Got it. That makes a lot of sense. Well, I,
1: you know, I think it's such a
0: interesting concept. I mean, I think if we take the example of like... Um, drive to survive right the f1 show on on netflix and now they're getting into golf they're getting into all these things and what they realize is that when you allow people to connect with the stories suddenly they want to spend more on the merchandise and going into the races doing all these things and I, i don't think it's wholly different in what you're trying to do which is get people to buy into the story of the founders feel connected to them and want to be able to do more with that hence invest in their business um, is that how you think about it? Is that just like the world we're moving into, which is like media is the tool by which we create,
1: you know, ban and investor engagement? Absolutely. You know, look what we've done with the going public series, we're creating a new category at the convergence of finance and entertainment. And I, I, I've looked at these campaigns over and over for years. And again, I've been shocked that the way, um, these platforms have evolved is a landing page with a two minute pitch video at the top. and that pitch video becomes the primary you know sales asset that's used by founders to attract investors and tell their story and ultimately raise capital for their companies. And we were you know part of the the, the marketing firms, well I had a marketing firm that was kind of pioneering and putting these videos together. And we learned very quickly that the better the pitch video, the, the greater the likelihood for a founder to raise capital. But I also realized it wasn't enough. How, how much can you learn about a founder, Chris, from a two-minute pitch video? What are they going to show you? They're going to show you the highlights. They're going to tell you all the positives, right? But that's not how business works. That's not how real companies work. There's highs, there's lows, there's everything in between. And what I certainly don't know is who you are as a person. I, I can't know that from watching a two-minute pitch video. But I can get to know you if you started a show where we follow you week after week, and we put you in situations that take you out of your comfort zone. We get to know the real Chris Lestrino. Um, How do you act when you're out of your comfort zone? What are your passions? What's your why? What's your mission? These are things that we desire to capture in the Going Public series for the precise purpose of creating a better, stronger bond between you as a founder and the millions of people watching the show. Um, People certainly wanna know about your business. They want to know about your financials. They want to know about your chances of, of delivering a return. But, you know, you hear this saying, you bet on the jockey, not the horse. They want to know about Chris. And I can't show people who Chris is on a campaign page, um, uh, you know, with a two-minute pitch video. It's impossible to do. So we're innovating in a way that founders are able to tell their stories to the world and to create a strong emotional bond with the viewers of the series some of which will become investors. And to me, this is just an obvious play. Um, again, easy to pitch, but very complicated to execute, which is why it took us four years to put the infrastructure together. And just now, you know, in the beginning of year five, we're, we're about to mount a major distribution deal, but none of it came easy. But we're just so excited about where this show can go. In our minds, this show should be bigger than Shark Tank. Um, it, it deserves to be, and so that's that's our goal. We're gonna we're gonna get there or die trying. Well, media and financial services are probably two of the hardest industries to build in. So,
0: kudos to you for deciding to go down that very difficult and challenging path. Um, well, you, you're a founder yourself, obviously. I think you've raised about ten million dollars for these two unique businesses that you're building now, um, and you talk a lot on Twitter about kind of your unique approach. Um, with one of those being. Uh, you know, being a sober founder, right? Not not drinking or anything. Talk to us a little bit about how that came to be and, and the impact that's had
1: on kind of your career and, and where you think you are today because of that. Sure. So, uh, you know, I had an agency um, 10 years ago that was a marketer of Kickstarter campaigns. It's how I got into the, the reggae industry. And I was struggling to build that agency into a viable business. The deals we were selling were small. They were rinky-dink. We couldn't hire quality people. And and I felt that I had created a monster of a business and I wanted out of it. And so I hired a coach to give me business advice, to help me improve the business. And the coaching took the form of a weekly call every Thursday from 8 to 9 p.m. in the evening. Uh, it was a, a mentor and, and former manager of mine in the Oracle community. And I would just vent to this guy. His name is Adam. And I would just complain about all the reasons I was frustrated with my company and why it wasn't working, wasn't working. And I kept saying to Adam, if I could only, you know, raise a million dollars, if I had this partnership or this deal. And he listened to me for three months. And at the end of the three month coaching session, it was time for him to kind of give his advice. And his advice was for me to quit drinking for 90 days. And I remember feeling insulted when I heard that advice. I said, Adam, how is that your business advice? I've been telling you about my business and the things I need to do in my business. He says, Darren, I hear you, but you keep externalizing your success. If you want to have a business breakthrough, you need to transform yourself first. And so I challenge you to quit drinking for 90 days. And it was the most counterintuitive advice anybody had ever told me. But I took him up on it. I had nothing to lose. And sure enough, you know, 90 days went by. I felt good. Decided to keep going. At six months, I felt even better. At a year, I felt great. And at the two-year mark into my sobriety... I achieved my business breakthrough with uh, some of the early rag a campaigns that I was leading at CrowdFundX, And we were signing deals, Chris, for a quarter million dollars, uh, $300,000 cash, we're getting these fees paid up front, right? And those fees provided the opportunity for me to leave my career selling Oracle software and become a full-time founder, and that was my dream. And so now it's been nine years. I've been sober for nine years. I don't drink. I don't smoke. And to me, sobriety is a superpower and competitive advantage. And now, I now challenge founders to quit drinking for 90 days if there's something not working in their business. They're struggling to raise capital. They're struggling to hire a co-founder, find a co-founder, whatever it is. Um, why not give yourself every opportunity to succeed? Nine out of 10, nine out of 10 startups fail. The odds are against you well, what are you willing to do to be the exception? What are you willing to give up to be the anomaly that succeeds? And to me, it's a test of um, conviction and dedication. If you're willing to go all in and put your time, energy, and focus into your business, you will be that outlier. And for me, sobriety was the breakthrough, but like anything in life, it didn't happen overnight. You know, I just told you it took me two years of these small micro improvements and productivity efficiency before I really saw the change. Um, but I love talking about it. Uh, I think people misread me sometimes that they, they think I'm this kind of boring guy. that doesn't drink. I've done it all, man. I, I, you know, I've smoked, I've drank more than that. And none of that got me anywhere. There, there was no tangible value I ever got from, you know, buying fine wine or smoking weed. It, it, it didn't work. I don't think it works for, for anybody, honestly. Um, so to me, it is counter-intuitive, counterintuitive advice, but some of the best advice you can get as a founder uh, because it's uncommon. And again, transform yourself to unlock your personal breakthrough.
0: Really cool. Absolutely love your story and, and congrats to you on all your Thank success. You. Everything you. have able to do. Glad that you share that story with others and try and help others along this extremely challenging hard path that, that we're all on and try to figure out day by day. Um, so you know the struggles of you know trying to build something really great, especially for this industry that we're you know creating out of thin air, right? This didn't exist five six years ago. So, from your perspective, what would you like to see both change and happen in the coming, call it three to five years, that you really think could be transformative for our industry? Yeah, it's a really good
1: question. You know, look, I think there's got to be some way for the deals in our industry to be institutionally priced, right? And I I wanna see more investment banks come into the industry. I wanna see more broker dealers. And I'm not talking about the types of broker dealers that you and I are familiar with, like the broker of record that charges 1% and 25K. I'm talking about broker dealers that can advise founders on deal structure. And so one of the reasons that our industry is growing is the, the simple fact that founders set the terms of the offer, right? And so the allure is that, hey, why why are you raising venture capital or raising from these accredited investors who are gonna dictate terms to you? Why not set your own terms, Chris? And you decide what the valuation of your company is and you decide what the deal structure is. And hey, Chris, you've got a community. You're gonna raise capital here. So the allure is you set your terms. What that means is you're gonna retain greater ownership in control of your company. But the downside to that is what if you say, you know what? I'm worth a billion dollars and you're not, you're only worth 50 million. And so some founders are are pushing the limits. And I think there's nobody that's not guilty of this, right? This is part of the appeal, but there has to be some way for uh, these companies to structure deals that are going to give them better terms than they would get down the street from a VC, but not so far out that they can never grow into that valuation. And not so far out that if they ever got public, which some of these companies have, see their stock prices decimated uh, and drop 80 to 90% because those valuations were bogus to begin with. I'd like to see institutional advisors, investment banks playing a greater role in this industry to help founders price deals, to make them um, more compelling for investors. Uh, and you know that's what I'd like to see. That that I think is going to be a big opportunity. Um, I also love when these deals, like a reggae or regsia has an institutional lead, could be a venture lead. And Chris, we know having an institutional lead doesn't mean you're guaranteed to make money, but it means that somebody, in theory, somebody smarter than you, has looked at this deal and has determined uh, they're going to put their capital in. It may say something about the quality of the opportunity. Again, doesn't guarantee success. We've seen all kinds of wacky things happen from the FTX blow up and Sequoia, you know. So we're we're not naive to that. But I think on average, having institutional investors lead rounds in these deals and having investment banks and, and really strong broker dealers work with founders to price the offerings to make them better deals, I think would be a, a huge win for the industry. Uh, and certainly for investors as well.
0: Well, I, I love that point, especially because, you know, I think if you bring investment banks in, right, they're capital allocators, so they just create more efficiency in the industry. And it's, frankly, when you have venture leads and all of that stuff, it really acts as another form of of distribution, right? Because, hey, if their name is on it, a lot more eyeballs are going to be attracted to it and want to be a part of that. So I think it is really, really powerful, and I'm, I'm glad you said that. Uh, Darren, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciated your insights, your thoughts, your story. I think it's all really, really cool. I'm glad you're in this industry, and I'm looking forward to uh, to watching The Going
1: Public Show when uh, Season 2 comes out. Thanks, Chris. Really appreciate the opportunity, and you too. Keep up the good work.
0: Thank you, everyone, as always, for listening in to the Inside Startup Investing Podcast. So if you would like to invest in Kingscrowd and learn more about our entire business, you can go to invest.kingscrowd.com you join us on the journey, and thanks for listening.